Dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we, the one who speaks the Father, is our defence, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the anointing sacrifice for our sin, and not only for ours, but for us, the sin and the world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anybody obeys his words, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command, which is one you've heard since the beginning. This is a command in this message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever, hate, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everyone is, for everything is in the world. The cravings of a sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has done comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, in this, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? Is it the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Such a man is an antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what we have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and the Father. And this is what he has promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from the beginning remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about the things, and as the anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Amen. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we pray now that as we... Uh, apply our minds to it, that you would be um, instructing us from your word and helping us to think through the application in our lives, that we would be people who are more confident and more content in what Jesus has done for us. And we pray in his name. Amen. Now I'm thinking this microphone needs to go down just a little bit. Because I'm going to get pretty excited and start...
preaching loud, so uh, you know. No. Uh, look, I, I want to uh, just share with you today um, about an issue that I think is the key issue from this passage from 1 John, and it's it's got to do with uh, what it means to be truly spiritual. Uh, because a number of years ago, a friend of mine who's a pastor, was a pastor here in Port Macquarie, was uh, hosting a, a combined church service at his church and he'd asked the musicians from his church to, uh, to play uh, for this combined service. And he told me that about an hour or so before the combined service was due to begin that the pastor of one of the other churches uh, turned up and uh, told him that uh, the musicians from his church were going to play for the service instead. And uh, the reason that he gave was that he said the musicians from his church had been uh, anointed, that they were anointed musicians. Now, I wonder if you've heard you know, that kind of language being used uh, in Christian circles. Uh, because in certain Christian circles, it is quite common. Uh, there are anointed uh, preachers, there are anointed uh, worship leaders, there are anointed musicians, there are anointed uh, prophets, there are uh, people who can impart the anointing to you, and there are even certain places that you can go to in order to receive the, the special anointing. And what it means is that there are two types of Christians, uh, the anointed Christians and the non-anointed Christians. I wonder which category you would fall into, if you're an anointed Christian or if you're not anointed. Um, you know, sometimes the, um, the Christian life can feel a little, bit, uh, a little bit on the ordinary side of things, can't it? Uh, we go through, uh, we, we are living in the tension between the ages where we have a relationship with God, we're looking forward to heaven, but we're living in a fallen world and we suffer various things in the same way that other people suffer. Uh, we go through ups and downs uh, in our lives and we uh, seek to be constant as Christians throughout the ups and downs of life. Uh, you might be a person who genuinely... Uh, trusts that Christ Jesus has died for your sins uh, and you're very sorry for your sins and you're very grateful that uh, God has forgiven you of your sins through the death of Jesus on your behalf. Uh, you believe that Jesus has been risen from the dead, that he's in heaven now, he's going to return one day and he's going to bring judgment on this world but you will be safe from that judgment because you've been covered by the blood of the Lamb, uh, you look forward to heaven and in this life you own Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord, your ruler. But you still go through hard times, don't you? There's still the ups and the downs. And we, in that pastoral prayer earlier on, we saw some of that. We prayed for people with relationship problems who are Christians. We prayed for people who are sick in hospital for nine weeks. Uh, we prayed for all of the, 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 the mess of, of life that we live in now. And from time to time, it, we, may even, we may even wonder about our Christian lives. And we may wonder, is this, is this all that there is to the Christian life? 
Uh, is there some higher or better or more fuller experience of God that I can have which will bring me closer to God and which will uh, help to, um, uh, to, to, to unlock the potential that I have for my life under God? And then someone knocks on your door and uh, they, they say to you, well, the Bible's great, but, but there's more. There's another book that God has also... Have you heard about that? Or, or you get invited by a friend to a meeting which uh, is described as being an exciting spiritual experience uh, with, with anointed leaders who can impart the anointing to you. Now, how do you respond to that? Well, I guess there's three ways that I could think of that you might respond. We might respond by saying, look, um, no thanks, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, I'm okay. Uh, thanks for the invitation, but that's all right. Uh, or we, we might think, well, maybe this is what I need <laughs> to give me that extra spiritual zap to get me closer to God. And sometimes we might have mixed feelings. We might think, well, I was content in my Christian life, but now you've, you're making me think that I'm missing out, that there's something extra that I need, something fuller. And I feel a bit spiritually second rate. I wonder how those musicians felt uh, when they were asked to pack up their instruments because the anointed musicians were about to arrive. I wonder how they would have felt. I'm looking at some of our musicians now and wondering how they would have felt uh, if that had happened to them. Now, the real question that this raises is what, what do we might mean by true spirituality? Or more appropriately, what does the Bible mean by true spirituality? Who is the truly spiritual person? And today we're looking at the passage which Sophie read for us in 1 John chapter 2, if you'd like to have that open up. Um, and just to recap, because we started 1 John a couple of weeks back and we've had Perry and Karen last week, but um, the, the Apostle John uh, wrote uh, this letter and uh, he was uh, quite elderly when he wrote it, probably uh, in, his, in his 90s. Uh, John ended up uh, living in Ephesus after uh, Christians left uh, Jerusalem. Uh, John spent his life living in Ephesus. And he's written this as a, not a letter that's directed to any one particular church, but uh, as a letter that's a circular letter. It's to be passed around, copied and passed on to uh, a number of different churches. And the reason that he's written the letter is because he has a concern. He's concerned that there were people in the churches who were leading others away from the gospel. And you see that if you have a look at um, verse 26 where he says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to, what does he say? Lead you astray. So that's his purpose in, uh, in writing. Um, and uh, as we uh, look at the letter and as we understand more about the background of what was happening in the churches in the latter part of the first century, it seems that uh, what these people who were trying to lead others astray were saying uh, went something like this. Uh, they might have said, uh, you believe in Jesus, that's great, 
But we have received a special anointing from the Holy One, uh, and which means that we have more light, which means that we have a special knowledge. And so throughout 1 John, the, you know, the words anointing and light and knowledge are very prominent words. And they would say that this knowledge that we have received through the special anointing is knowledge which you need. And you're not going to get it from the apostles because they have not received the special knowledge. And the only people you can get the knowledge from is, guess who? Us. You can get it from us. Now, one, one aspect of this special knowledge was that they claimed that the Christ was, did not really become a man. Um, you see, they believed that physical things, including the human body, were intrinsically evil. And uh, so the Christ and Jesus are actually two different entities. Uh, and uh, the, um, the, the, well, the, the Christ only appeared to be a man, but he wasn't actually a man. Uh, or a variant on that would be was that the Christ uh, entered into the man Jesus at his baptism and departed from Jesus prior to his, uh, his crucifixion. So they're the two varieties of the false teaching that were, were prevalent. And if you consider the first variety, and that is that the Christ only seemed to be a man, but he wasn't actually a man, uh, what key doctrine of the Christian faith is that actually denying? Can you think of that? If to say, to say that the Christ was not actually a man, what's the critical doctrine of Christian faith that that denies? Anyone want to guess? Okay. Uh, the incarnation, of course. Right? So they're denying the incarnation. Uh, when they said that Jesus, rather that the Christ entered the man Jesus at his baptism and left prior to his crucifixion, what key doctrine of the Christian faith are they denying in saying that? They would be denying the atonement, that Christ, God, uh, was not actually present there dying on the cross. Now, to, to, to the Apostle John, this is, this is nonsense. Um, you see, uh, you want to talk about true knowledge of Jesus. Well, uh, guess what? John actually lived with Jesus, didn't he? Uh, and so if you have a look at the first few verses of 1 John, he starts out with this, really. He says, you know, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have, we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, uh, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So John's saying, you want to know about knowledge of Jesus? Well, hey, I was there. I saw him. I listened to him. I touched him. I lived with him. Uh, I know what I'm talking about. Um, now, uh, but, but his main concern uh, in today's passage is for Christians to be confident that there is no other special anointing other than 
what we have already received uh, in the gospel. And bearing in mind that when you receive the gospel, that is because the Holy Spirit is working in your mind and your heart to actually uh, change your mind and change your heart so that you understand and you believe and you repent. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And he wants to say that there is no further anointing other than the anointing that you have already received. So who is the truly spiritual person? And I guess uh, you might want to ask yourself the question, uh, do you believe that you've received the anointing of the Holy One? Uh, In today's passage, John presents three tests. Um, And these are tests which we can apply to ourselves to see if we have received uh, the anointing and if we truly know God. So the first test is in verses 3 through to 6. So I'll read that for you. In verse 3 he says, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. Uh, This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And so the false teachers reckoned that they were the ones who truly knew God because they had the special knowledge But in these verses, what is the test of true spirituality? How do we know whether a person truly uh, knows God? Uh, It's obedience, isn't it? Uh, You know, the question is, do they obey what God says? And this is really important for us because we can sometimes be, uh, you know, affected by people who um, have or claim to have special spiritual experiences that we don't have. And whether or not those spiritual experiences happen, the important thing is obedience. Uh, I became a Christian when I was 19, and it was a profound experience of moving from being a pagan to being one of God's children, Um, understanding that Jesus had died on the cross for my sins and committing my life to him and and naming him as my saviour and my lord. Uh, It wasn't long after becoming a Christian that I met some other people who told me that I did not have the fullness of the experience of God, uh, which they had received, and that I needed that fullness, and that they could give it to me. And, uh, you know, I was a bit rattled by this, and I went to my minister, and I said, what do you think? I feel a bit like I'm missing out here. And he said, Scott, I used to have a friend like that, who was always um, telling me that God spoke to him. He was always telling me about these fresh things that God had revealed to him and that I could be like him as well. And he said, I always felt a little bit spiritually inferior to him until the day that he walked out on his wife and his kids uh, for the sake of another woman. And, you know, the clarity is that it doesn't matter what spiritual experiences you talk about having, if you're actually not obeying God, then it means nothing. And that's the true test, obedience. So, and and we've got to be very clear on that. And now, a person's obedience to the word of God, of course, 
uh, may not be as impressive as going to the special meeting and you know, receiving the anointing, but the, the Christian who makes that daily effort to be putting God as first in their life, to be resisting uh, temptation to sin and making decisions that honour God as opposed to decisions that are unfaithful to his word, that that is the truly anointed person. That is the truly spiritual person. And of course, in the end, that is far more impressive, isn't it, as they live out their lives. Now, John's second test kind of flows on naturally from that. We see it in verses 7 through to 11. Um, Do you remember what Jesus said about love? Uh, He said, a new commandment I give, I won't sing it, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. Love uh, is, uh, is, is critical to our obedience uh, to the word of God. And uh, in, in verses 9 through to 7, uh, John says, Well, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother, well, he's actually still in the darkness. You know, whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness he does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him see these false teachers they they claim that they were the ones who were living in the light but uh, if you go further down into verse 19 um, we see that by the time that this letter was written that the false teachers had actually disengaged from fellowship with God's people. They'd walked out, they'd left God's people um, because they they only hung around with others who'd received the special anointing. Yet if they truly loved God's people, then they would have been committed to God's people. Um, You know, John tells us that the truly spiritual person is the one who loves Uh, He's the one who denies himself for the sake of others. It's the person who uh, cares, the person who serves, uh, the person who's committed to the well-being of others. You're kind of not doing that if you're disengaging from fellowship with people who believe uh, the gospel. Uh, True spirituality is really seen when Christians are involved in loving, caring and serving Uh, the needs of others, just like Jesus did, particularly when he went to the cross. Now, that might not be quite as spectacular as some of the anointings that are on offer, but it is true spirituality. Um, Then we come to the third test, uh, and that's in verses 18 through to 27, and that is the test of truth. One of the fascinating things about many church leaders today who claim to have a special anointing is just how far their doctrine ends up deviating from the doctrine taught in the Word of God. Um, This this is how it works from what I've observed and from my experience. Uh, It is very common for the preacher to be declared to be anointed, uh, anointed by God. And, And what that often means is that when they preach... They will preach uh, about the Bible, they will refer to the Bible, 
but they don't actually expound the Bible. Uh, you'll go to meetings where the Bible, you know, Sophie's come up and read most of a chapter from the scriptures for us. And uh, in teaching the Bible, you go through a passage explaining it and applying it. But what often happens is that the Bible is used, it's referred to, but it's not actually expounded. And in the end, people end up believing what the pastor says because the pastor is the Lord's anointed. And uh, when it comes to challenging what the pastor has said, well, you don't touch the Lord's anointed. Wasn't that what David's attitude was to Saul? You don't touch the Lord's anointed. And, and this can lead to um, uh, account of, uh, a lack of accountability. Uh, it means that the, um, the churches end up losing their focus on the death and the resurrection of Jesus for the, for the, the payment for sin and the need to repent and put Jesus as Lord of your life. Uh, the gospel is never really, usually not denied. It's just shifted off to one side because the fresh revelations become the prominent teaching in the church. And so, as I say, if you want to know what God said yesterday, read the Bible. If you want to say what, know what God is saying today, listen to the anointed one, the prophet, um, who's teaching. And so the churches lose their focus in the gospel and leaders become corrupt, um, doctrinally corrupt, financially corrupt, and morally corrupt. Um, the false teachers in 1 John claimed to be super spiritual, but they were way off track. Uh, if you have a look at verse 22, how does John actually describe them? What does he call them? Verse 22. Antichrist. He calls them antichrist, doesn't he? Um, that's a big thing to say, isn't it? Uh, possibly because we have a wrong view of what the Antichrist is. Um, to be the Antichrist means to be opposed to the true doctrine about Christ. And if you're saying that the Christ only, uh, only entered into Jesus or the Christ did not actually become a man then what you're actually doing is you're denying the incarnation, you're denying the atonement. And so you're actually opposed to the Christ. Uh, you are an antichrist because they did not believe that the Christ came in the flesh. But the truly spiritual person, and I'm not saying that that's a common doctrine today, by the way. Um, by the way, does anyone know what the theologians would call that doctrine that says that the, the, the Christ only appeared to be like a man? Does anyone know what it's called? Uh, just for those of you who want to jot down notes and think about these things, it's called docetism. Um, it comes from a Greek word means to seem. To seem like is a man, but not actually to be a man. But the, the truly spiritual person will have a very high regard for the truth in the word of God. Um, a, a Christian uh, family member actually sent me an email, this was years back, where he wanted to uh, tell me about the great anointing, um, the great spiritual experience that he was receiving in his church and how wonderful it was and how I needed it. 
You ever get those kind of emails? There's a thing called, does anyone remember the Toronto, what is it, the, the Toronto, Toronto Blessing? That's right, yeah, that was probably back in the 1990s, I, th I think it was, the, otherwise known as the Laughing Revival, where you just fall down on the floor and laugh and laugh and all, and that was, you know, the... the I, look, I, I wrote back to him and I said, look, you know, I'm just not sure that it's actually biblical. Uh, and his response to me was, it doesn't matter if it's biblical, I experienced it, and that's what counts. That's not what counts. Uh, if uh, the, the Bible is to be supreme uh, in terms of our faith and our conduct, and the Bible is to be, uh, we, we, we live out the Bible and we would interpret our experiences through the Bible and not try to do the reverse and certainly not by dismissing uh, the Bible um, like that. So who are the truly anointed ones in 1 John? I put it to you that it's the plain, ordinary Christians. It's the people to whom John is writing. Um, these are the ones who actually do have the special knowledge. Uh, if you go to verse 20, you see what he says there in verse 20. He says to these people, he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. See, if you are a Christian, then you have the anointing. You have the special knowledge, because the special knowledge, the great mystery that uh, has been revealed, is that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God come in the flesh that he died on a cross to pay for your sins, that he's been resurrected from the dead, that through him and through faith in him that you can be forgiven of all of your sins and you can enter into eternal life. That's the great knowledge. That's the secret knowledge which is revealed in the gospel, the mystery of God. And if you believe that, and if that's what you base your life on, then you have the knowledge already. You don't need any further special anointing. Um, the, the false teachers in verse 26, John says that they will lead you away from Christ Jesus. But in verse 27, the true anointing, that is the truth of the gospel, will cause you to remain in Christ Jesus. So who's a truly spiritual person? Well, they obey God's word, they practice love, and they have faith in the truth of the gospel. They're the three tests in 1 John chapter 2. And if that's you, then you have the anointing. Now, that's comforting, isn't it? Um, because it, it means that uh, we, we don't need to be rattled by people who are promising a greater uh, fuller spiritual reality. Uh, it is comforting. And, and that is actually how John comforted the Christians uh, to whom he's writing. There's this lovely section. If you have a look at verses 12 through to 14, which is, it's a bit poetic actually, because he, 
He says, I write to you, dear children, in verse 12. Then he's in verse 13, he says, I write to you, fathers. And uh, then he says, I write to you, young men. And then if you go down, he, he repeats that, doesn't he? I write to you, dear children. I write to you, fathers. I write to you, young men. And uh, there's no need for the women to think that they're left out on this. You know, it, uh, he, he's, he, he calls everyone a ch child because he's in his 90s. And he's, you know, been a spiritual father to them. Um, and what he's saying to them in these, in this lovely section, he's reminding them, uh, first of all, in verse 12, that they have been forgiven. Do you see that? Uh, you know, he says, "I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven. Not will be forgiven. Not might be forgiven, but have been forgiven on account of his name." I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Not you need to know something more, but you already, it's past tense, you have known him. And I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Not that you will if you enter into some fresh experience, but it, you already have overcome the evil one. And then in what follows, he kind of expounds on that. So with the young men... He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and because the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. They're not missing out on anything, are they? There's not some new, fresh experience that they need to enter into. And so this is very comforting. But uh, there is a real challenge for us as well. Because although it's comforting to know that true spirituality is about obedience love and faith in the truth, um, the challenge that, uh, that John sets for us in, in verses 15 through to 17 is do not love the world. Do you see that? Verses 15 and 17. Now you think, well, you know, what does he mean by do not love the world? Doesn't, didn't, you know, doesn't John 3.16 say that God so loved the world that he sent his only... What he means by do not love the world is do not love the things of the world when you should be loving God. Don't put your trust in those things. Because you see, the test of true spirituality, uh, if you obey the word of God, then you're not going to love the things of the world. Uh, if you love other people, then there are certain things, then you're not going to be selfish and self-inclined, which is what loving the world uh, is about. And if you obey the truth, then there's a whole stack of stuff about the world that you're going to be rejecting. The reverse is true, uh, that uh, if you love the world, then you're not going to obey the commands of God. If you love the world, that you, then you're going to put yourself first and not love other people. And if you love the world, then you're going to reject certain truths of the Christian faith. And so he says, do not love the world. There's a nice story about John. They say that when he got very, very elderly and frail, that uh, he couldn't say much in church. Uh, that he would sit there and he would simply say three things to the congregation. He would say, love one another. And we know that from some of the writings of the early church fathers. 
love one another. I think that the reason that um, the false spiritualities are so popular these days is that they, that they offer a quick fix. You know, it's come to the meeting, uh, get the special spiritual experience, and you'll be closer to God. But true spirituality means obedience, it means love, and it means faith, even when the times are hard, especially when the times are hard. I don't know what the reaction was when the minister of that church uh, you know, went up to his musicians and said, look, sorry guys, um, can I get you to pack up your instruments? You're not playing today. I don't know, but he was a very gracious man and I'm guessing, I'm hoping that he would have said to him, look, don't worry about it. The reason why we asked you guys to play the music in the first place is because you are people who love God's commands uh, and obey God's commands. You do love one another and you do have faith in Jesus. You've got the special anointing. Don't worry about what the others say. They can play the music, but just keep on obeying, loving and trusting in the truth. And that's the message for us today as well. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for um, the pastoral care of John the Apostle, who uh, even in his uh, age was concerned for the well-being of Christians, that uh, they would not be led astray. We pray for ourselves that we would be so, uh, have such an understanding of who Christ is and what he's done for us on the cross and who we are in him that uh, we would be strengthened to persevere in being faithful through the difficulties that we experience in this fallen world as we look forward to uh, the heavenly reality. Help us to resist the temptation to not be content in Christ and what he's done for us. But, uh, Father, to understand some of the richness and the fullness of that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.